Reminding us of the wonderfully encouraging theme of the Bible, here is Pastor Ed Taylor. From God's perspective, His Word is glorious. You know, the Bible, all 66 books, has one consistent theme. You know what it is? God loves you and has made a way of escape for you. It's a plan of redemption. God's love toward man. In all of the things, Old and New Testament, God, He's incredibly in love with His people. He's incredibly in love with His creation, wanting them to be right with Him. This is amazing grace. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. We teach the song to our kids, but need to remind ourselves too. Hello and welcome to Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We're making our way through Romans, and in chapter 9, the topic is God's sovereign working in the world and history, endeavoring to bring us into a loving relationship with Him. Yet some resist. Perhaps there is something holding you back. Here with today's lesson, beginning by asking that very question, is Pastor Ed. I don't know what it is that's holding you back. Is it some career choice? Is that it? Your career is just taking you away from the things of God. You just want to make a lot of money. Maybe some of you have made a lot of money and now you're so deep in debt, you don't even know what to do now and you found out that didn't lead you anywhere. You're going from relationship to relationship or relationship, trying to fulfill whatever's going on in your heart, just leaving Jesus to the side. Your attitude is like, well, you know, I'll take the things of God seriously some other day. I'll think to take the things of God when the kids get a little bit older or when we start having kids or when I get married or when I'm old enough. You know, I want to have this kind of life right now until I'm 23 or 24 or whatever it is when all the while the Bible says that well, the Bible says that you're separated from God, and why? What's holding you back? I mean, what are you unwilling to surrender and give up to the Lord Jesus Christ? What is it that you don't want Jesus to be the Lord of your life? What is it? The Bible says very clearly, Jesus does. He says, what is it that you're going to gain in this world? Why would you want to gain everything in this world? Why is that? And lose your own soul. Like, your soul is so valuable and so wonderful that... The price paid for your soul is the shed blood of an innocent man, Jesus Christ, the God-man. So why? Why would you prepare yourself for destruction? Flip over now to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Again, we learned that as we study through the scriptures, God is never, you will not find an example of God making someone for destruction. Man prepares himself for destruction. Sometimes it takes a whole lifetime. Well, you have chance after chance after chance after chance and message after message after message. And, and you might leave here, oh, that was a harsh message. I don't think I want to hear that anymore. Why not? When you want to hear the truth and receive the truth, the wonderful, glorious grace of God is that even though we have eyes that can't see and ears that can't hear, God will send his message, his spiritual, right to your heart and say, I'm going to show you the way out. I can rescue you. You don't have to prepare yourself for destruction. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Draw your attention to verse 20. He says, in a great house, it's the same picture of these vessels. In a great house, they're not only vessels of gold and silver, but also wood and clay. Okay, so you've got two types of vessels, very precious, gold and silver, and just the normal ones, wood and clay, just normal everyday ones. Some are for honor, the gold and the silver, and some are for dishonor, the wood and the clay. 
So there are two types of vessels, two pictures. Then with that picture, he says in verse 21, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, which is the latter? The dishonor, right? The vessels for dishonor. If anyone cleanses himself from a dishonorable life, a life that's prepared for destruction. See, God has given you the choice. He's given me the choice. Anyone that cleanses himself from being a dishonorable person. I mean, I'm sure that some of you could look back on your life and say, you know, my life didn't honor God. It's not that I was necessarily a bad person or I've done a lot of bad things or I've got this criminal history that's as long as the stage. It's not that you have that. You don't even have to have all kinds of junk in your life. But apart from Jesus Christ living a life that's, well, maybe you've done a thousand good things, but never one of them in the name of Jesus Christ. It's always been for yourself. It's always been for some charity. It's always been for, for feel, have a good feeling about it, but, but not in the name of Jesus Christ. You know, you and I, we have the opportunity to cleanse ourselves from a dishonorable life. And that's what he says. If anyone cleanses himself, they go, what, wait a minute, what if I'm a vessel for destruction? Well, then cleanse yourself. That's your way out. Well, how do I do that? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ for the salvation of your soul. That simple decision. Well, notice he says, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, a vessel of dishonor, he'll be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. And so I would say, don't be a vessel for dishonor. Cleanse yourself. Come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Bring yourself to a place of surrender and repentance. Believer and unbeliever alike. Believers can become very dishonorable too. And we've got to guard our hearts. Continually coming to Jesus, abiding in him. Back in chapter 9 now, let's continue. In verse 24. He speaks of these vessels of mercy in verse 23, which he prepared beforehand for glory, even us, whom he called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. And he says also in Hosea, verse 25, I will call them my people who are not my people. It was prophesied that the Gentiles would be saved all the way back in Hosea. And her beloved who was not beloved, and it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, and there they will be called sons of the living God. And so right away with Paul, what you notice in Paul's writings is that he had an incredible grasp of God's word. That's why you're continually encouraged here to be men and women of God's word. Just taking it in day by day, week by week, month by month, and over the years, you're going to find you're going to know more and more of God's Word. Okay, so maybe you don't know all the addresses. You ever come and like this verse, you know this verse, but you don't remember where it is, but you know the verse. Take encouragement in that. Now, there's a little concordance in the back of most of your Bibles that have most of the popular verses, and you can just remember the word. Maybe you don't remember the full verse, but you remember a couple words. Well, that's what a concordance is. And then the ones in your back of your Bibles are very limited. They have concordances that have every single word in the Bible late. It's called an exhaustive concordance, a great, great Bible study tool that you can use to continually not only memorize the scriptures, but also remember the address. And so here's Paul. He's pulling the scripture out of Hosea and saying, look, it was prophesied way before the Gentiles would get saved. Verse 27, Isaiah also cries out concerning Israel. Though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, the remnant will be saved. So he answers the issue on their heart. He goes, why are all the Gentiles being saved? Well, God said it would be so in Hosea. Well, wait a minute. Why aren't there so few Jews being saved? Well, God already spoke about that in Isaiah. It's amazing, the Word of God, how you piece all these things together. That's something that's called systematic theology. 
And a lot of doctrines are built upon the continuity of the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. That's why the cults are so dangerous because they don't systematically look at the scriptures. They don't see the Bible as a whole. So they'll take a little scripture over here and create a doctrine out of it. Then they'll run over here, a little scripture over here, they'll create another doctrine out. And then when you start pulling out other passages and say, no, let's look at them together, they'll go, no, 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 that doesn't mean that, doesn't mean that because it's one verse, I'm going to hang on to it. But what you're being taught, what I'm being taught is to look at the scriptures as a whole. You know, some of you might even be confused and to the point where you think, well, the Bible's so difficult, I'll never understand it. Not so with the Spirit of God in your heart. Well, I'm not saying there aren't those difficult passages. There are. You know, there's enough in the Bible for the very simple. Like your kids downstairs right now, they are being blessed and learning the scriptures at their level. They're receiving it right now. They're taking it in at their age level. You know, Jesus would say to us to have that childlike faith, that childlike attitude toward him, so that the Bible could be understood by little munchkins that small, and also can be understood by big munchkins this tall, you know, that in your life you can understand a lot of things about the scriptures. You don't have to just hang up and say, well, I don't understand the scripture, so I'm therefore going to get rid of everything else in the Bible. No, 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 just, just kind of put, tuck it in the way, back of your mind, it might be something that gets unfolded in the entirety of your life here on earth, or it might be something that in eternity God will just say, oh, and you go, oh, 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 man, that's easy. I know, I know. From God's perspective, his word is glorious. You know, the Bible, all 66 books, has one consistent theme. You know what it is? God loves you and has made a way of escape for you. It's a plan of redemption. God's love toward man. In all of the things, Old and New Testament, God, he's incredibly in love with his people. He's incredibly in love with his creation, wanting them to be right with him. So what Paul does is he pulls from Hosea. Then he pulls from Isaiah, verse 28. He will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness because the Lord will make a short work upon the earth. And then he takes another passage in Isaiah. Verse 29, as Isaiah said before, unless the Lord of the Sabbath had left us a seed, we'd have become like Sodom, and we would have been made like Gomorrah. If unless God really blessed those that turned to him, we'd turn out like Sodom and Gomorrah, which were very unholy, unbiblical cities filled with very unholy people. And he says, I'm glad God deals with remnants. Isaiah does, because if it wasn't God didn't deal with remnants, we'd be just like those cities, not loving God and not caring about God at all. And so from God's perspective, there are three groups of people on the earth today. You can jot them down if you like. There are three ways of look, three distinct groups. There are Jews, there are Gentiles, and there's the church. Jews, Gentiles, and the church. And you know, the church is made up of saved Jews and Gentiles. <laughs> That's what the church is made up of right now. God is still dealing primarily with the Gentiles until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, the Bible says. And then during that seven-year great tribulation period, he's going to turn his full attention again after the church has been raptured from the earth. He's going to turn his attention again to the nation of Israel and fulfill the promises that he's made to Israel. For us today, we... I would say that there probably aren't many Jews that are saved here today. Might be a few. What I found with Jews that have been saved is they're very zealous and excited for the things of God. But primarily, we are a church filled with saved Gentiles. A Gentile, by definition, is simply someone that's not a Jew. <laughs> and so we're filled. God's attention to the Gentiles, you and I are saved now. And we rejoice in that. Our identity is... No longer what we were before, but now we are Christians. 
You know, there's a move today, not to call Christians Christians anymore, but you might even hear this phrase being, you know, we are Christ followers. I don't think that's enough. In Acts chapter 11, it says that in the church of Antioch is where they were first called Christians. Those men and women that are filled with the Holy Spirit and are sold out to Jesus Christ. Christ follower just doesn't give us the full picture. You know, you can be a Christ follower today and not be saved. Did you know that? You know, the whole mission strategies, whole mission organizations are changing their strategies now. And they're not interested in converting people. They just want people to follow Christ. Not so from God's word. Jesus Christ didn't die to have a bunch of people mimic and copy him. Jesus Christ died so he might radically transform your life from the inside out. One by one. And our new identity is not merely a Christ follower. I'm not necessarily opposed to that phrase because Christians do follow Jesus Christ. I understand that. But your identity is as a Christian in the potter's hands, on the potter's wheel. And so here's the choice, verse 30. Let's close up in this chapter. Paul kind of comes to a conclusion. He says, what shall we say then? That Gentiles who do not pursue righteousness have attained a righteousness, even the righteousness of faith. You know how that question comes up all the time? What about those who have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ? We always picture them in some deep, dark jungle somewhere, just kind of living their life. No, no missionaries, no Bibles. They're, they're just out there, unreached. And some, they even seem unreachable. And well, think of that. Think of that picture and put it into this text here. And think of the Gentiles that way. Because that's how they lived their life in the first century. They didn't care about God. They were radical pagan heathens that didn't care about the children of Israel. They were always persecuting the children of Israel. Didn't want anything to do with the true God of Israel. They're just out there crazy, not wanting anything to do with the things of God. But notice, they weren't pursuing righteousness, but God, he got them. They weren't doing anything but living contrary to God, and he got them. But, verse 31, Israel... Well, they had all the privileges, remember? They had God's law. They had the faith. They had everything. We've looked at that already. They were such a blessed people. They pursued the law of righteousness, but didn't attain to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were, by the works of the law. For they stumbled at that stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense, and whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. And so those that were pursuing the law of righteousness, not attaining to the law of righteousness, they were offended by Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ came on the scene and said, believe on me and you're saved. You don't have to strive. You don't have to work. As a matter of fact, in verse 33, the word offense there, behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense. You could circle that word and right next to it, scandal. It's the Greek word scandalon. We get our word scandal or scandalized. Jesus was a scandal. He scandalized the people that were clinging to the law, working their way or attempting to work, your, work their way into the favor of God. And it's true. Most of Israel passed up on the opportunity to respond to the message of grace. But Gentiles attained to righteousness by faith, not trying to earn their way into the kingdom, not trying to work hard, just realizing they were sinners in need of forgiveness. But the Jews trying hard to attain righteousness by the law failed miserably and only hardened their hearts. And still today, Israel's working and working and working, trying to be saved. Even in their own law, they can't attain to it because there's no temple and there's no sacrifice. They've replaced that. 
And now every year on the Day of Atonement, they step back and they start to weigh their life and they say, I have a little bit more good than bad and then I'm right with God, but they can't even keep their own law because there is no shedding of blood in the temple. There's no temple to offer a sacrifice to and they still work and they work and they work and the hope that we have is that God is still sending that message of grace into their lives. But let's bring it home to us. Let's bring it home to us because what I have found is that there are many people still trying to work and work and work. They identify themselves not as a Christian, but by some denomination or some church attendance or some thing that, great thing that they have done, some great work that they have done or some serious length of time where look what I have done. I do have the new, I have the new language, I have the new clothing, you know, I have the new Bible and they have all these outward appearances trying to put on a show. You know, it's not enough just to look like Christians. It's not enough to sound like Christians. It's not enough to carry a big Bible and stop cussing and, and now I'm go to church. I must be saved. Not if you're not connected to Jesus Christ, you're not. And what the law always does is it always shoots after the outward. Change this behavior. Stop this. Don't do this anymore. Add this. But God, through his son Jesus Christ, is always shooting for the heart. You know why? Because if he gets your heart, he gets everything else. And if you're just merely trying to change behavior, and you're merely trying to, well, I'm going to stop doing this, and I'm going to start doing that, and it's all in your own strength, and it's all in your own doing, and it's all in your own figuring out, eventually you're going to find that you do not have the strength to live the kind of life that you want to live apart from Jesus Christ. You don't have it. I don't have it either. What Jesus is looking for is our hearts, not religion. There's a way of looking at religion that, well, just binds you up ties you up and you're always wondering what's the list that I need to follow what do I really need to do religion tries to change a person from the outside in but God saves you and he saves me by grace through faith not just looking like or sounding like or even acting like a Christian flowing faith from repentance is needed in your life a flowing life of faith that started with repentance so Jesus he either becomes a rock of refuge the picture the picture is this one road, and as you and I are walking down this road, we come across this rock. There's the rock right in the middle of the road. For some, that rock becomes an offense and a block, and, and what happens is they're trying to move it and push it and get this out and climb over it, go around it, pray that it would leave, but the rock, well, you treat the rock like that, you're going to try to work it out of the road, what's going to happen is that rock is going to be, become a rock of offense a rock of stumbling, and your progress on that road is going to stop. But for those that come down that road, and it's a long road of walking and moving and going in one direction, and finally the Lord Jesus Christ explodes on your life, and there it is, that rock right in the middle of the road. When you come to that rock, for those of you that don't treat that rock as an offense, but instead you just rest on that rock, well then that rock personified as Jesus Christ becomes a rock of refuge in your life. Well, wait a minute. How do we know that rock is Jesus? Again, look at verse 33. God himself says, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense. Whoever believes on him, whoever believes on that rock, will not be put to shame. Let's flip over to 1 Peter chapter 2 as we head out today. Will Jesus be your rock of refuge or your rock of offense? Will he be the chief cornerstone of your life to begin to build a fresh and a new life that now you're born again? Or are you going to continue with these outward appearances? You know, the Bible says that man looks on the outward, but God looks on the heart. Do you know that both sides of that verse are true? 
It is very, very true. Man looks on the outward. That's why I think we so often mistakenly try to put on outward show. We try to, well, we're the best parents and we've got the best kids and we're the best Christians when none of that is ever true. We all have issues, ups and downs. We all have kids that do great for a while and then, oh, kids, that's not, that's my wife's kid. That's who that is over there. You know, we all have real lives. We have, all have real kids. We all have a real marriage. We all have real issues that Jesus Christ is working. Sometimes we get in the flesh. We have real anger. We have real frustration. We're all real. But I don't know. Sometimes we don't want people to think we're real. We want people to think, well, I'm, I'm more than real, you know. I've got everything in together. I, I, don't want, I don't want you to think any less of me. Hey, I just want you to measure each other. I think it's good just to measure each other in the measure and the stature of Jesus Christ. Like for an unbeliever, you love them because they don't know Jesus. For a believer, you love them because they do know Jesus and you can always point them back. But it's true that man looks on the outward. Man does look on the outward. And if you focus on that, you're going to be a really messed up person because you're never going to be able to please everyone. We're in the middle of a study of Romans on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. And you can hear these programs anytime at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Pastor Ed, a question we see in one form or another on social media these days is, what are some ideas or suggestions for what to do with all this extra free time on my hands? While many are choosing to veg out by watching TV or Netflix, do you have some ideas on how we can make the most of the time we've been given by God? I really believe this time, Larry, is a gift from God to us to slow down, to rearrange our thinking and rearrange our schedules I know that some homes are pretty chaotic because the kids are home, they're homeschooling, some are working from home, and, and there's a full schedule. At the same time, there's an opportunity to really reconnect with family, reconnect with the kids, spend some quality and quantity. Remember years ago, Larry, they, they made that distinction between quality and quantity and and tried to say that, well, you know, quality is better than quantity. And I never really subscribed to that. Quality and quantity are both what God wants from us and our kids and our marriage. Obviously, I think the spiritual disciplines are very important to read and pray every day. I think that we could fiddle another day away. You know, this is a unique opportunity, uh, a very unique challenge, a very unique testing. And, and if we enter into it with the desire to abide in Christ— and we enter, in, enter, enter into it with a desire to, to take advantage of the time and to redeem the time. I know the Holy Spirit will lead us to read a book, uh, to read a book of the Bible, to start a new devotional, to read a book on, on or about the Bible that you haven't read in a while, to catch up to study on your favorite pastor uh, through a book of the Bible in their church app or on their church website. Like Feeding yourself the Word of God will continue to feed hope, encouragement and strength into your life. And of course, you know, we all have favorite television shows and things, and and we all have different degrees and time that we spend watching those. However, be careful. Uh, be careful, because this is a very unique time in human history, and, and I don't want to have to stand, and I'll just speak for myself, I don't want to stand before the Bema Seat of Christ and have to account for all the works that were burned up, uh, that were lost because I was lazy, apathetic, and just vegging out in a time of the worst opportunity. Like, like let your, let, how about this? Let your imagination run wild of how to serve your neighbor. Let your imagination run wild how you can present yourself to serve at church. Let your imagination run wild. Think about how to help, how to extend. Don't think about more comfort and ease. 
And I know how discomfortable it is right now, how uncomfortable it is, I should say. But man, don't strive to get back to normal. Rise to the new normal. Rise to the occasion. Let's be busy doing the Father's business until he comes. Um, And man, there's so much that's available to us. Let's jump in and allow the Holy Spirit. And let me say one more thing. You can't do everything. So don't be overwhelmed trying to do everything. But don't think because you can't do everything that you should do nothing. I know you can't do everything, so don't be overwhelmed, but do something and do it as unto the Lord. Great ideas there. Thanks, Pastor Ed. In Hebrews, we read that without faith, it's impossible to please God. So to say faith is important would be an understatement. It's the key to a successful Christian life. But what is faith? Where does it come from and how does it work? What does it accomplish? Those questions and more are uncovered in a book we'd like to recommend to you by Chuck Smith. It's titled, Faith. When you give a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace, ask for a copy of Faith. Give us a call at 877-30-GRACE, and we can help you with that. That number again is 877-30-GRACE. Please also remember it's your financial support that helps us continue Abounding Grace on this station and many others like it. We're constantly hearing great reports of what God is doing in our listeners' lives, and your support helps to make that possible. So, thank you. You can make a secure donation online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Glad you've taken time out to study the Word with us, and be sure to join Pastor Ed Taylor tomorrow for Abounding Grace when we'll continue our series in Romans. This is amazing grace This is unfailing love That you would take my place That you would bear my cross You laid down your life That I would be set Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado.